Turn to 1 Corinthians 11, and then we'll also look at the back of our hymnals to page 937. First Corinthians 11, we'll start with first. We'll start at verse 17. This is God's holy and infallible word. First Corinthians 11:17. But in giving this instruction, I do not praise you because you come together not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as as a church, I hear that divisions exist among you, and in part I believe it. For there must also be factions among you, so that those who are approved may become evident among you. Therefore, when you meet together, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in your eating, each one takes his own supper first, and one is hungry and the other is drunk. What? Do you not have houses in which to eat and drink? Or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? In this I will not praise you. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But a man must examine himself, and in so doing he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks and drinks judgment to himself if he does not judge the body rightly. For this reason many among you are weak and sick and a number sleep. But if we judged ourselves rightly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord so that we will not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home so that you will not come together for judgment. The remaining matters I will I will arrange when I come. And then we're looking at... Um, Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 29, the last two sections of this chapter, 7 and 8. But we're only going to read section 7 right now. We'll, we'll read through section 8 during the message. Section 7. Worthy receivers, outwardly partaking of the visible elements in this sacrament, do then also inwardly by faith, really and indeed, Yet not carnally and corporally, but spiritually, receive and feed upon Christ crucified and all benefits of his death, the body and blood of Christ being then not corporally or carnally in, with, 
or under the bread and wine, yet as really but spiritually present to the faith of believers in that ordinance as the elements themselves are to their outward senses. Let's pray together. Help us, our beloved God, to understand and believe the wonders and grandeur of this holy sacrament and also the seriousness of this holy sacrament. Help us, we pray, to partake in faith and to partake um, in a way that is as worthy recipients. For we ask these things in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Um, This is the last message on the Lord's Supper. And I believe it gives us some explanations, some closing explanations about the nature of the sacrament. Um, the, the fact that we don't agree with what we call transubstantiation, and we'll look at it later, uh, and, and actually found in today's uh, section 8 and 7, um, this doctrine of what they call consubstantiation, which was popularized by Martin Luther. But it does give us a corrective of what we really do believe. We do believe in a true spiritual presence of Jesus Christ in the Supper. And section 7 tells us that. It says there in section 7, Worthy receivers, outly partaking of the visible elements in this sacrament, do then also inwardly by faith, really and indeed, yet not carnally and corporally, but spiritually receive and feed upon Christ crucified and all benefits of his death. So this first half of section 7 explains that we don't hold to a merely memorial view of the Lord's Supper. What do we mean by a memorial view? Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. Yes, there's a remembering, a a bringing to mind, a recalling of what Jesus did for us on the cross. We remember it in the sacrament, but it's not just merely memorial or remembrance. There's something more to it. And as we just read, there is a true spiritual presence and nourishment whereby we spiritually receive, receive and feed upon Christ crucified and all benefits of his death. It says, it goes on to say that we, in a vital spiritual way, do so, but not carnally or corporally. Now, what do those words mean? Carnally means in a fleshly manner. Uh, Corporally means in a bodily manner, as in uh, corporal punishment or chastisement, or what we would call in the South, spanking. Um, if If you find a book that's arguing against corporal punishment, it's arguing against bodily harm in disciplining a child. So that's what the word um, means here. So, I guess to bring it to more modern language, we spiritually feed upon Christ, yet not in a fleshly or bodily way. But it's a true spiritual feeding upon the Lord Jesus in the Lord's Supper. Now, when we read about uh, having or receiving all the benefits 
of his, Christ's, death. Uh, Westminster Shorter Catechism 32 explains what those benefits are. Um, it says there in the Shorter Catechism, what are the benefits, uh, what benefits do they uh, that are effectually called partake of of this life? They that are effectually called do in this life partake of justification, adoption, and sanctification, and the several benefits which in this life do either accompany or flow from them. So the second half of section 7, um, it speaks about, um, well, before I move on to the second half of section 7, how do we partake of the Lord's Supper and how does that benefit us regarding things like justification or sanctification? Well, uh, when we have the Lord's Supper, some have described it as a visual sermon. I know that there's not a lot of, you don't see this in the OPC where people bring props and use a prop in the sermon, but we actually do have some visual cues to look at when having this preaching sermon in which is given in the Lord's Supper. We have the bread and the wine to illustrate the death, burial, uh, of Jesus Christ and what he's done for us. It's, and it preaches the doctrines of justification. Well, how does taking the Lord's Supper help you with your sanctification? Well, think of it this way. Maybe I'm considering committing XYZ sin. But then I, re- I remember, you know, I have to take the Lord's Supper. If I, if I participate with this, I'm not going to be able to take the Lord's Supper in good conscience. Therefore, I'm going to do whatever measure necessary and possible to keep myself from participating in sin X, Y, or Z so I can take the Lord's Supper in good conscience. It can help you with your sanctification. I think that's how we should seriously partake of the Lord's Supper. And it will help you with your sanctification if you do it in that fashion. So the second half of section 7 It speaks against this um, Lutheran doctrine of consubstantiation, yet with an explanation of what we believe instead. It says, The body and blood of Christ being then, not corporally or carnally, in, with, or under the bread and wine, that's, that's what consubstantiation teaches, yet as really but spiritually present to the faith of believers in that ordinance as the elements themselves are to the outward senses. Now that last little phrase here, I would explain it this way. Just as you can smell the wine and the bread and you can taste the wine and the bread, just as sure as you know that's wine and bread, you could be assured that Christ is present spiritually present when we partake of the Lord's Supper. I think that's what they're saying here. Um, It goes on to say that in section 8, here's the section of warning about partaking in a worthy manner. It says, Although ignorant and wicked men receive the outward elements in this sacrament, yet they receive not the things signified thereby, but... By their unworthy coming thereunto are guilty of the body and blood of the Lord to their own damnation. Wherefore, all ignorant and ungodly persons, as they are unfit 
to enjoy communion with him, so are they unworthy of the Lord's table and cannot, without great sin against Christ, while they remain such, partake of these holy mysteries or be admitted thereunto. Now that's why I picked the text today, 1 Corinthians 11. Um, it's really the key passage in the whole of the New Testament concerning this. But I, I want us to just look at a few verses here. Look at verses 27 through 32. So if you wanted to summarize what section 8 here is saying, there's no better passage than here in um, verse 27 and following. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But a man must examine himself, and in so doing, he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself, if he does not judge the body rightly. For this reason, many among you are weak and sick, and a number sleep. But if we judged ourselves rightly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord, so that we will not be condemned along with the world." Now, that's the warning. Let's flip, it, let's flip it over a little bit and look at those who take rightly. If you know the gospel, in other words, you're not ignorant. If you believe the gospel, you have faith. And if you um, endeavor to walk after repentance um, and you do receive it by faith, then you receive by faith the thing signified in the sacrament. And what's that? Namely, all the benefits of his death. Now, on the contrary, let's look at those things that would mark a person as partaking in an unworthy manner. According to the Confession of Faith, there's two things that would mark someone as partaking in an unworthy manner, and the two main categories would be ignorance or you could say unrepentance, which would here be described as wicked men or ungodly persons. Let's look at this first one, um, those who are described as being ignorant of the gospel. Um, a person who is um, believing in false doctrine. I know somebody who uh, wanted to take the Lord's Supper, but at the time believed in reincarnation. Obviously, he should not partake of the Lord's Supper. Um, a person who cannot articulate their faith and explain the basics of what the Christian faith is, either with their own words or using the Bible. And I believe that person should not be allowed to partake. That would be described as being ignorant of the gospel. Or another one would be very young children. You... You raise them up, you've baptized them in our church. We, we believe they're part of the covenant, but um, a baby uh, should not be allowed to take the Lord's Supper because it should be pro prohibited. Now, that's contrary to this doctrine that's popular in some circles known as Pado Communion. What those who hold to Pado Communion teach is that a, even a baby, an infant who's still on a bottle, should be allowed to partake the Lord's Supper. Some families take the, the bread and they soften it in the wine until it's a mush and they put it in the baby's mouth. 
and they give it to them. And the reason they do that is because the child is a member of the covenant, and as a member of the covenant, they should be allowed to partake the Lord's Supper. That's their argument. Well, um, I find it hard and very impossible to get around the fact that a kid, a, a, a baby, who can't walk, who can't talk, who, can't, who doesn't even have ability to, uh, the ability to control bowel or bladder, has ability to examine themselves. That's what the Bible tells us. The Bible tells us that we have to have this ability to examine ourselves, according to 1 Corinthians 11. How is that going to happen with a, with a baby? I don't think anybody can explain that. And if someone does come up with an explanation, it's very much often so convoluted that it makes your head spin. But I still don't understand that a baby has the ability to do self-examination. And here's wherein the OPC makes a right distinction between what we call communicant and non-communicant members. So a child baptized in the church, they are still members of the church. They're members by baptism, but they're not communicant members. Um, To become a communicant member, a youth has to be able to give a profession of faith before the session of the church. They have to take membership vows before God and many witnesses here in the congregation. And then they are, are allowed to partake of the Lord's Supper. That's how they become a communicant member. Now, likewise, when, it, when it, an adult completes a new member's class, they have to go before the session. They have to give a valid profession of faith. They have to also have, uh, you could say, their life and doctrine, not just doctrine, but their life, their way of life and doctrine examined by the session before they are admitted as communicant members. There's no shortcuts. Now, let's move on to those who are described as in Section 8 as wicked men or later on as ungodly persons. These are those who lack repentance. Um, persons currently involved in sexual infidelity should not partake of the Lord's Supper. Now, growing up in the Roman Catholic Church, it was commonplace that some of my friends were having um, sex outside of marriage, also called fornication. And uh, some of them would watch Jesus films. They would fornicate, and then they would go to Mass. And then they'd probably watch the rerun of the Jesus film and then go back to Mass and and partake the Lord's Supper. Um, I knew a a friend's dad who was uh, basically shocking up with a lady and and they were fornicating. And then they would go to Mass and take the Lord's Supper. And they would ask us if they wanted us to go with them to Mass. And sometimes we did. And they would take the Lord's Supper. And when I read 1 Corinthians 11 for the first time, I was astonished. I asked one of the Monsignors in Lake Charles, don't y'all ever talk to people about 1 Corinthians 11 and not taking of the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner? And uh, his response was, we teach the youth at what they call the C. CD classes and the CCD classes. Marianne's nodding her head or saying, "Yeah, I think that's uh, it's actually called a confraternity of Christian doctrine." That's what the CCD class stands for. So, by the way, the earliest you could take of that class I looked up was six years old, 
And usually most kids partake of that class and start taking the Lord's Supper before age 13. Some take it as late as 17. Um, so the Monsignor's reply was that people in the Catholic Church learn about 1 Corinthians 11, he claims, when they're a preteen or maybe even six or seven years old. And honestly, I never learned it in, in CCD class. I never learned it once in the Catholic Church. The reason is, I believe, is because it's, it's uh, we call it, by the work of the worker. The grace is extended not by uniting it with faith. It's done by the work of the priest who automatically extends grace when you partake of that sacrament, whether you even have any faith whatsoever or whether you're taking it in a very uh, unworthy manner as described in 1 Corinthians 11. Now, given that a person who has fallen into sexual temptation or even sexual sin, yet has turned away from that sin, should be allowed to partake of the bread and wine. You don't have to say, well, you committed this act of infidelity, therefore you should be withheld from the Lord's Supper for one whole year. That's not the case. If he's repented of the sin, he should be allowed to partake. Now, there are some other things that could be described as uh, a wicked man or an ungodly person here. Uh, someone who's currently partaking, um, participating in drunkenness. Now, drinking in moderation is not a problem, but drunkenness um, or illegal drug use should be not allowed to, to keep, that should keep someone from partaking. A person who's actively involved in criminal, criminal activity should not partake. Someone who refuses to repent of any sin, whether it's lying, slander, stealing, etc., and continues to directly or headlong participate in such sin. Those who are refusing to heed the process of Matthew 18. In other words, remember that process in Matthew 18. Someone is in sin, a brother approaches them. If they turn and repent, you've regained your brother. But if they don't repent, you take it to the church, and if they don't listen to the leadership of the church, that person should be either suspended from the Lord's Supper, which means no longer allowed to partake, or excommunicated, kicked out of the church, according to Holy Scripture. But I do want to read one section here. I know this is a lot of, well... Wow, I mean, this is hard. When should I ever be allowed to partake of the Lord's Supper? Maybe I feel like I, you know, I, sh- I shouldn't partake. But here's what we have uh, in the ins- words of um, our directory for worship. It says, if, if you are not trusting Jesus as your Savior, if you are not a member of a faithful Christian church, if you are not living penitently and seeking to walk in godliness before the Lord, then I warn you in the name of Christ not to approach the holy table of the Lord. However, this warning is not aimed to keep the humble and contrite, that's the repentant person, from the table of the Lord. As if, uh, as if it were for those who were free from sin, In fact, it, the Lord's Supper, is for sinners that our Lord gives this supper as 
a means of grace. So again, you're not expected to be a sinless person because therefore none of us would qualify to partake. But, you know, there are things that if, there, if you're... Le- some of the language in the past that I've heard, if you're le- living secretly or impenitently without repentance in any particular sin, you should not partake of the Lord's Supper. Um, is this loving? It is. It is. This is loving. If you allow people to partake of the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner... What do they get for themselves? According to today's text, as we read earlier, for this reason, many among you are weak and sick and a number sleep. A number have been taken out of this life and have died because of partaking of the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. Let's pray together. We thank you, for, this, for the Holy Supper, the Lord's Supper that you have given unto us. We thank you that you called us to be your children. We thank you, our blessed Lord Jesus, that you gave up your life as a, an, an atonement for sin. We thank you, O Father, that you offered your only begotten Son. We thank you, our triune God, for the work, the mighty work of salvation that you have wrought for us. And we pray that as we partake of the Lord's Supper that we would remember, but also that we would believe by faith of the vital spiritual nature of this wonderful blessed sacrament. Guard us from sin, guard us from compromise, guard us from falling into wickedness so that we can partake of this this blessed sacrament in good conscience. Help us in these things, and Lord, we pray that you would use it for our growth in grace, for you have promised that unto us. We thank you for uh, these, um, your saints, and Lord, we pray that you would bless them in, in their preparation of partaking of and in, in their taking of the Lord's Supper. We ask all these things in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. For closing hymn, or actually closing psalm, we'll look at 61b. Oh, hear my urgent cry. Let's stand and sing 61b. <laughs>